Welcome to Sound As Ever, an Australian Music Vault podcast produced by young content producers and radio makers interested in exploring stories and issues in the Australian music scene. This episode focuses on accessibility in the music industry. What are the barriers preventing people from enjoying live music and how can these situations be overcome? This episode was produced by Rebecca MacArthur and Bridget Burke. Sorry, the band's playing upstairs tonight. I don't know how you're gonna get up there. There's a gig going on in Melbourne CBD every night, but a large portion of music lovers aren't able to soak it all up. Do you remember the first gig you ever went to? It was probably memorable because you had a good time with your mates and saw a band you loved. In this episode, we take a look at accessibility and realise that the live music scene is not welcoming for everyone, as you might assume. We must emphasise that in this episode, we didn't have the scope to cover all access needs and our interviews lent an ear to mainly physical access. Accessibility is a broad and multifaceted topic. Over the last few months, myself, Rebecca and Bridget have been investigating the state of accessibility in the live music scene of Melbourne. It is evident that making spaces welcoming for all falls not to one person or organisation. In this episode, we explore physical access and shine a light into spaces of live music that might not be as welcoming as you might assume. This is The Sound As Ever Podcast. Hello, my name is Rosie, I'm 27 years old and I have spina bifida, so I'm a wheelchair user and I also use walking sticks. At the moment, I think one of my favourite artists would be Bad Dreams. I've <laughs> been really into the Preacher's new album and Dan Sultan's new album, and I think I like a lot of different music. So I went to see the Preachers at the Forum, and they've actually recently renovated. So what was once an already accessible venue has become a now more accessible venue, which kind of tripped me out because they were already pretty good. The Forum is one of the many music venues across Melbourne that has been working on their accessibility so all patrons can enjoy their shows. Rosie says it's improved since the first time she attended and believes that the Forum have continued to focus on and improve access needs throughout the years she's been going there. They're definitely better at communicating. As soon as they saw us, they were were like, come in, where's your ticket? And then they explained to us that the venue has changed and this is what it is now and this is where you go. This is where you can go to the toilet and other places you can seat yourself so you can see the stage. Having the toilet in a, in a space where like other people can't see it is a really good thing too because there's nothing I hate more than watching like five able bodies walk out of the disabled toilet. Because <laughs> I think people don't realise that it's such a big toilet because you need to fit a wheelchair beside it and that even though they have to wait in a line for their toilet, they have like five or six toilets, whereas we have one. Communication is a really, really big thing definitely think so when it comes to having a venue that's accessible I think attitudes people's attitudes is a huge huge thing. Rosie is one of many music fans in Australia attending gigs in a wheelchair. We also spoke with Pauline Bettuna who is a music lover 
and a disabled wheelchair user and is forced to fight against ableism wherever she encounters it. I am a full-time wheelchair user. I consistently find that I respond to invites for gigs all the time from friends and people in my networks. And I always have to ask, is it accessible? And more and more I have to explain what that means to me specifically because from years of experience I've realised that when you tell people, able-bodied people, or ask them, is it accessible, they will often say yes because their understanding of what that means is very limited. Pauline often finds it difficult to get inside a venue in the first place and then manoeuvring inside the building is even more so. When I sat down with Pauline, she expressed strongly the impacts it has on her when access is denied. Just like, oh, this shit again. <laughs> really, it's just, it's so, it's so tiring. People can't see me. I'm a black woman and I use a wheelchair. So it's frustrating because I have to labour and explain and educate for all of those things all the time. Well, recently I was invited to a gig and I sent them a couple of messages just asking, is it accessible? And I actually was specific. I asked them, is it accessible? I use a manual wheelchair. And I even gave the dimensions of the wheelchair, I think. And I asked them, is there an accessible toilet? And I was told, yes. Get to the venue and I can certainly get in on street level, but the toilets aren't accessible. Now, if there is no usable toilet on site, the venue is not accessible. And a lot of people don't seem to understand that. If I go to a place and I'm unable to use the toilet, obviously I need to go home. <laughs> I can't be in public without a toilet somewhere in the vicinity. So I'm constantly having to explain that to people. Um, and a lot of venues don't understand that. Even a lot of artists, because I was invited to that venue by friends who know me <laughs> and, my, and my disability, but even they were not aware of it. So it's something with access, it has to be something that you intentionally think about. Rosie tells us about her favourite band of all time and how she's always front and centre at every gig, but not this time. It was fully accessible, so it was flat to get in. They had a disabled toilet. From what I gather, the venue was new or I'd just never been there before. And we were seeing a band that we've seen a million times before and we went to the front of the stage like we always did and then we had bouncers coming up to us saying, oh, you can't, you can't be there. It, you know, it's not safe for you. And we're thinking, well, we go to the front of the stage all the time, we go to gigs all the time, we see this band all the time, you know, it's not, this is not fair. Because there's so many different types of disabilities, it, you know, it is hard and I do understand why they worry about us getting hurt, but if a person is saying to you quite clearly, we do this all the time, we go to the front, if the crowd gets crazy, we will move, like we are capable of doing that. Like I think it's important to listen to that and keep an eye on us just in case because that's their job, but also kind of respect that we are human and that we know you know, what we're doing and if we don't know what we're doing, like we wouldn't be there because we'd be worried. I was really, I was really mad at the, the security guards and really mad at the band themselves because we'd seen them so many times and yet they still kind of tried to side with the security guards and make us move. I ended up writing a review on the Facebook page of the venue saying, you know, that this was ridiculous, that you're, how can someone be so fully accessible but then have such crappy attitudes? They never responded or anything, but yeah, now that when I go to that venue, they, they let us in, they let us at the front, no issues at all. 
Pauline has had similar experiences to Rosie in being denied access and has found it frustrating when often all that is needed is to remove a simple obstacle. I remember one time I had been told that something was inaccessible and I looked at the manager and I looked at the thing that was blocking me from entering the building and I looked at him again and I just gave him a look. I didn't even say anything. And he flushed pink and then went inside and tried to find something to make that obstruction go away. <laughs> but that's really what needs to happen. You need to make yourself physically present. You need to make yourself heard as a marginalized person. But I can't stress the importance of allies because this should not fall on disabled people alone. We're already dealing with enough. If you really care about your disabled friends and family, and if you care about it just on principle, this is something that you need to vocalise and stand up for in the same way that you would any other kind of human right. In their frustration, both Rosie and Pauline have reached out to venues and artists to let them know that being denied access is not okay. So sometimes you can go to a venue and the attitudes can just be really crap. Like they're like, oh no, we're not accessible. This building is really old. And you're just like, well, I've come all this way to see this band. You can't just kick me out kind of thing. Or like they don't know how to help you. Like there was a one venue that now has a little ramp to get into, which is fantastic. They were always like, oh no, no, we know what to do. We know how to help you. But they would try and like push you out forwards. And I was like, I'm gonna tumble out of my wheelchair. Like, and they weren't listening to what I was saying. I was, they were like, oh no, no, we've been doing this for years. And I'm like, well, so have I. And <laughs> let go of me <laughs> because you're helping me in a really bad way. And also I find some venues, they use their disabled toilet as storage. So they have one, but when you get there, they're like, oh, can you just wait a bit while we take everything out of the disabled toilet because we're currently using it as storage. I'll get like someone coming up to me like saying, oh, my sister or my brother's disabled and I, you know, like I understand, da, 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 it's so great that you've come out. And I just, I always say to them, can you please tell your brother or sister that they should go out more because people like you are going out and telling other disabled people that it's so amazing that they're out because their brother and sister aren't going out. I'm like, please just tell them they can go out and have a good time and let them go out, invite them out. As the late great disability advocate, writer and comedian Stella Young said, my disability exists not because I use a wheelchair, but because the broader environment isn't accessible. Having to constantly negotiate spaces takes a toll. Start to question your own ableist thinking because you have it. Even if you don't think you do, you have it. Start to educate yourself about the social model of disability. The social model of disability is the model of disability that disabled activists use. Prior to that, the medical model of disability was pervasive and it still is in some circles, especially the medical profession. And the medical model holds that people are disabled because of their physical impairment. The social model of disability emphasises the social structures and barriers that prevent us from living full and free lives. So I have an impairment, but I am disabled by the discrimination that society perpetuates against me. So the emphasis is on the social barriers and not the impairment, which I can live with. The impairment is actually fine. I manage it. 
it's all of this other stuff around me that prevents me to live the way that other people do. Just complaining, lodging a complaint, asking questions, doing so in a public way, like doing so on someone's public page so that other people see that response. That is making yourself visible and just making our voices heard consistently, even though there will always be some pushback or people could ignore us. And I think it's really important for people with physical disabilities and all kinds of disabilities to make ourselves visible in these spaces. That is a form of protest. It really depends on how I'm feeling that week, whether I'm willing to go through that process. I personally feel that with my friends, some of them don't go out because of reasons like they just assume that things won't be accessible because a lot of things aren't. I think uh, having carers that won't kind of take them out past a certain time or some of them rely on public transport to get to the places as well and if it's not near public transport or if it's near a tram, lots of trams aren't accessible so that kind of deters people from going out as well. There are many initiatives being experimented with in Melbourne to try and break down the barriers that prevent access. Here's Nikki, the founder of Bandmates Victoria. Bandmates Victoria is a brand new initiative. It's been going for a year and it matches people with and without disabilities and mental health issues with volunteers to go out to see live music. So in 2017, it's a pilot project. It was co-designed by people with disabilities and mental health issues and people who work in the music industry. In 2018, we reapplied for more funding and we're moving out across another 10 municipalities and into regional Victoria as well. You can live anywhere to access Bandmates Victoria. For us, partnering with the different municipalities means that we can get the word out they can help with the matching process of people because we really want to match people that, number one, like the same kind of music, so important. Number two, live nearby. Rosie is familiar with the Bandmates program through her wider community and sees it as a positive step. I think it's a great initiative. Like it's, I think it's the best thing absolutely ever because the one way to change attitudes is to get people with disabilities out. So, you know, having this program called Bandmates where the volunteer takes a person with a disability out to like nightlife is the best thing ever because it, it stops that barrier of how will I get to this venue because you have that volunteer that's willing to help you get there. And then more people with disabilities will go out because that barrier is gone. And the next barrier would just be, is the venue that we're going to see this band accessible? And if the answer is yes, then boom, you're out. You're doing things like everybody else. Could I spend every day rolling I'm Ellie Elspeth Skrine, and I am an artist. I play with an electronic three-piece called Huntley. We make Doof You Can Cry To. I also am a music therapist and super passionate about music and a volunteer with organisations to try and make the music industry a more safe and inclusive and accessible place. Ali is a coordinator at Listen, a grassroots organisation set up to spark dialogue around and promote the work of marginalised communities in the music industry, including women and people who are gender non-conforming, LGBTQIA+, of colour and who have a disability. If you're an artist, I think you've got a huge platform particularly like bigger artists who are drawing big crowds if you're out on a stage you've got like 
you know, however many people like hanging off your every word and listening to you. And I think that's so important um, to use that platform. I think um, people working for events and venues also have a huge responsibility and it takes like active work. Rosie agrees, it's a shared responsibility. I get a little bit obsessed when I see artists more than once, so they tend to recognise me because I'm in a wheelchair, I stand out, and I'm going to all their gigs. So I would like bands like that to, to acknowledge that they have a person with a disability going to their gigs and maybe when they're organising where they're going to play to make sure that that venue is accessible and actually ask those questions like, hey, is this venue accessible? Because with a few bands that I see a lot, like I, I ask them about that and they say, oh, someone else organises where they're playing. And I always have to think, well, surely you could talk to that person that organises your venues. Like, surely you're in contact with them and you can say, hey, there's disabled girls that go to our gigs. Like, can we make it more accessible? Just think about, you know, whether you want to include everyone or do you want the world to be inclusive or do you just want to let able bodies go to gigs? Like, really think about that and then try and, you know, make a change. I've had difficult conversations with friends who are musicians and artists about this issue because a lot of people will pay lip service to the idea of accessibility but in practice they are not practicing that. I've, I've given the government checklist because there is a checklist available that you can google but that you can consult in planning an event to friends who are up-and-coming artists when they're organizing small events and you can just use that in your planning process to make sure that you've covered enough bases, basically, to make an event accessible. Making changes to an established venue is a complicated process. Funding must be found, policies developed or updated, and practical aspects like signage and communication must be distributed. We spoke to representatives from the venue management side of the industry to find out more about how this happens. Hi, I'm Sally. I'm the Music and Marketing Manager for uh, the Corner Group, which includes Corner Hotel, Northcote Social Club and the National Hotel in Richmond. Yeah, hi, I'm Rod and I'm the General Manager for Corner Group. Basically, at the end of last year, we underwent a fairly major renovation. It was very focused on our rooftop bar. So the rooftop was here beforehand, but there's been a lot of changes to the structure of it, the layout of it. Basically, just focusing on making better use of the space that we have up here. The corner went about these changes to improve access, but it was not without its challenges. The reality is I think when you start moving things around in an older building, there's limitations to what you can do structurally within a realistic budget. I guess the laws and the building codes do require a certain level of accessibility when you do make alterations, but trying to make these more thoughtful rather than just an afterthought, there's design challenges there how to make the spaces usable for those in wheelchairs, for example, not just complying with a building code. The corner added a lift, ramps into the new spaces and converted the old offices and residences. They thought about how patrons would get from point A to point B and realised there was a lot more they could do. Rod believes that the benefits of changing the corner to be more accessible are obvious. It meant that loyal patrons could now access spaces as it were originally intended. Rosie, a loyal punter of the corner, felt a part of the change process 
as they actually asked her what changes she wanted to see. And when these changes were realised, the reaction was really positive. When the manager approached me to say that they're renovating and what changes I could make to make it more accessible, I was really excited, I felt really happy and I felt like I'd made, I guess, a difference and that my going out to advocate for myself had really worked. So that was just a really fantastic feeling. So I never thought that they'd noticed because my friend and I, we, we go to this venue so much. We were absolutely over the moon. I think the first time we went in when it was accessible, we were like going up and down the lift and like squealing in the lift and getting really excited. It's like gone from my favorite venue to my actual favorite venue because it's so easy. And I think a lot of the times when a venue is really, really accessible, you don't even think about it. It's like you just go in and you have a great time and then you leave because you don't have to think about anything because everything's just perfect. The whole idea is it's meant to be organic and, and actually, you know, be something that's a long-term plan as opposed to, I guess, a PR exercise. So obviously being very careful in terms of how we're communicating that stuff. The biggest focus is on staff and, I guess, punter awareness within the venues of what the expectations are, but also what avenues are available to them if they are coming across any issues and that, you know, we are wanting to communicate. I asked Rod and Sally what they might say to other venues that are apprehensive about making change and where they might source funding or support to make it all possible. Look, I think there's a lot of groups and organisations out there that they just need to talk to. They may be saying it's too hard because they don't experience these issues and they don't realise how the littlest changes can have the biggest effects. I think for us, quite early on in this, some of the things that have influenced why we've wanted to really push some of these changes was just listening to other people and their experiences. Nikki from Bandmates. The physical access is always a major concern because a lot of the venues are in old buildings and a lot of them are also heritage listed so it becomes very difficult. With something like an accessible toilet, if you can't afford things, venues can actually work with their current toilets if they've got the space. When we launched Bandmates Victoria, they didn't have an accessible toilet, but they made some modifications to their existing toilet. It's still not what we'd call accessible, but it's an ambulant toilet. They put in handrails and they flipped the door around so that you didn't have to pull it, you could just push the door. And they used one of the wider toilets and wheelchair users were able to use that, that space. You can have something like a ramp with a bouncer. So if you keep a portable ramp where the bouncer is, then they can pop it out when they need it and put it away when they don't need it, as long as you have the bathroom facilities to go with it. The corner has received a positive response from punters and the industry and would encourage other venues to follow suit. I think it's been overwhelmingly positive. I think the biggest difference that you know might be something to motivate other venues to do something similar as we've had a significant number of groups booking in specifically because we have the accessibility. The more we talk about it the more the government is likely to listen and, and that might open doors to accessing funding or supplementing works to improve your space. We've seen that happen around other areas within the music industry so I can't see why if we keep pushing that venues that might not be in a financial position to make positive changes will be able to access some of that funding.
Accessibility is everyone's responsibility. Change will happen through artists speaking out, punters changing their behaviour at gigs, and through policy. Pauline maintains that policy and legislation still remains important. I do think that if there is legislation, venues feel more compelled to to act. But again, legislation is one thing, enforcement is quite another. And I don't know how to bridge that gap, other than to just constantly put pressure on people making decisions about the creation of these spaces, to comply with legislation and to just do the right thing, like even in the absence of legislation. I think it's also really important as well to take into account that arts venues, organisations, or just the arts in general, have always kind of been at the forefront of cultural changes like this and encouraging other industries to kind of follow suit. So I think not only doing it for the benefit of your own venue, but also just to encourage a positive change in general. Like it's really important for arts and music organisations to do this because people do look to the arts as, as leaders and people have their icons and their idols, especially in music. And they will be encouraged to follow suit and listen to someone where they might not if it was just a government body telling them to do the same thing. Pauline encourages audiences to speak up against spaces that are not accessible. It really requires people now, punters, people who attend live music, people who love live music scenes to take an ethical stand and say this isn't acceptable and if it doesn't change we're going to withdraw our support for that space and that's really it. Audiences need to do that and artists need to do that because the venues rely on artists and audiences support artists. So if audiences and artists come together to put pressure on venues to comply with legislation, I see change happening and these things starting to happen and gaining momentum. Social media is huge now and is a great way to get your voice across. So I think either tweeting your, your favourite venue or messaging them, calling up the venue. I think if a lot of people call up the venue and say, hey, you're accessible, and if they had to say no that many times, that might they might start to think, oh, maybe we should make our venue accessible so all these people that are calling up can come. I think the big issue is money, because I think everyone, everyone really wants to be accessible. No one really wants to say, no, you can't come into my venue because you're disabled and I don't want you in here. Like, I think everyone is willing to let everyone have a great time. It's just you know, the ability to. So I used to say, wouldn't it be great if like someone crowdfunded like a certain venue to like become accessible? Like if everyone puts some money in so that they can close down for a short period of time while they build a ramp or something, like, like wouldn't that be great? Where disabilities are perceived as making people different, music is common ground that can bring people together. Andrew, Stuart and Peter are three members of The Hackers, a band comprised of members with and without disabilities. We came out of ArtLife. It's a program with, um, for people with disabilities at the Footrack Community Arts Centre. In the early days, there was a bit more percussion and it was more a program rather than a band. But then as time goes on, um, the maracas left and the tambourine wasn't as played as much and things like that. So, so, so time's moved on. 
the Where the Footscray Community Arts Centre house band. So we've we've played at the balcony one time and things like that, and it was really yes, good. Yes, it was. Wasn't it, Stu? Yeah, you, you um, took the microphone off and uh, walked down the stairs and sang down the stairs and up the stairs, and yeah, it was really was just, a hit. I was just being a, I was just being a showman. Which you are. Specifically allocating funds to access programs is important in sustaining their viability and supporting involvement in live music. Department of Health and Human Services, they help fund us. And um, if we don't learn something new during the year, like, like a new instrument or, or, or improving on an instrument, our funding will be cut and then we won't have a band to go to. So we get money from the people that hire us out so it's 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 a win-win for everyone you know we're happy because we're performing we're playing to an audience don't be scared of us because we've got disabilities we can work around that you know we can work around your time we can play for an afternoon we can play for an evening the Hackett's are looking forward to the future and thinking about how they can make their band and its philosophy sustainable and if you want to start your own band, the Hackett's have some advice for you. I'm really excited about our future as a band because we've got so much, so much writing going on. It's just, it's just really good. And our opportunities are going to be so rich. Come out and sing with us mm -hmm. to join in. Mm. You, know? you don't, have, yeah. to, you don't yeah. have to just... Any teenagers listening to us, if you want to form a band and sometime in the future you feel like jamming with us, so go ahead. We'll be happy to have you. There's no I in team and we're a big team. True. So true. yeah. Oh, so. we're not just a big team, we're a Titanic team. Titanic sunk. We're not sinking. We asked Pauline, Sally, Ali, Nikki and Rosie why it's important for everyone to be able to enjoy live music. I think in a society such as ours, our social connections are centred around music and art and sport too, if you're into that. But... <laughs> All of these cultural venues and cultural events are at the centre of our society and social lives. So if you shut people out of those venues and out of those spaces, you are shutting them out of society. And that has implications for the mental health of those people, implications for their physical health, and is incredibly damaging to people and communities. It's a basic human rights issue. Live music and, and um, going out are very important parts well to a lot of people of just daily life and there's no reason for one group to be excluded because of physicality or you know any kind of disability really. You're just making choices of what people are able to do based on something that they can't control so I think it's important to do everything you can to make sure that it's equal. I think it's so important for everyone to be able to access live music because because it's so powerful and because it connects us with people around us and it allows us to express parts of our identity and it allows us to 
connect with our emotions and that is a really important thing. Why should different groups of people have more barriers to accessing that? We, we need to do everything we can to dismantle the structures that create those barriers and to make music an accessible thing for everyone. It's just about everyone doing what everyone else does. Everybody should have the chance to go and see live music. It helps your mental well-being is one of the big advantages. You know, for me, music is a rite of passage. For all of us, is a rite of passage. And if everyone else is doing it this way, then why do people with disabilities have to do it differently? But when I first started like seeing bands a lot, I never felt disabled because I was just one of the many fans at this gig, singing along, screaming, having a great time, jumping around, dancing, and I never felt like I was judged or never felt never felt disabled. So that's why I started going to gigs and love going to gigs because I still to this day don't feel like I'm a disabled person. I feel like I'm just one of the crowd that's really enjoying the band. Most people think of music as just entertainment, but we have to understand, we have to start thinking differently about that. These are spaces where people congregate for community and that is an essential part of being human and mental health and a whole range of other factors. It's essential to who we are. So when you shut out people from those spaces, you are really, some people call it the oppression of exclusion. And I think that's a really good term. I have hope for the future. I think uh, just in terms of my conversations with people and particularly younger people, there's more of an understanding of disabilism just as a form of discrimination. There wasn't even when I was a teenager. That's the future that we're working towards, just making sure the world is accessible for everyone. Thanks for listening to Sound As Ever, an Australian Music Vault podcast. This episode was produced by Rebecca Macasa and Bridget Burke. Thanks to Sin Media, supporting partner of the Australian Music Vault.